Welcome to the Clark Howard Show, where it's about you and that wallet of yours. I want you to learn ideas from me so you can save more and spend less. And don't let anyone ever rip you off. Clark.com is our main website. ClarkDeals.com, well, that's where you go to find all the great bargains. And coming up in just 20 minutes, there's been a move afoot to allow you to rip open your retirement accounts to use for whatever. And I'll tell you what's behind that and why it's so clark Rageous in just a few minutes on today's show. So there's a great question, and that is, how do you teach values about money to your children? And it's something that I find that just about every financial writer at some time or another tries to crack the code on that. And I want to tell you something. I have three children, and they're almost like three only children. They're 28, 18, and 12. You should see it when all three of them are together. They're so used to being the center of family attention. And then they're all three together, and they vie for attention with each other and with us. But that's besides the point. I just thought of that. Anyway, so my oldest was not the most careful with her money as a teenager and didn't seem to really have picked up any of my values in particular about money and about being frugal with it and saving money and all that. And it was very frustrating for me as a father. And she was the first one along. And what I didn't realize was the long game. And that is now at 28, she is incredibly careful with every single dollar. It's phenomenal. It's intense watching her and her fiancé how careful the two of them are with their money. Because let me tell you, that was not who she was as a teenager. And I was thinking about this because it really matters not what you and I say, although it's important what we do say, and I'll talk about that in a second, but it's what we do kids pick up on hypocrisy big time and if they learn from the way we handle things that are good habits part of that seeps in but the payoff is when you explain about money to your kids and a lot of families talking about money is not cool but let me tell you something if you want your kids to not be clueless about money and how to handle it, you got to talk about it. Not obsessively, not as if money's a god, but about the, the goals you have in life and, and how important it is to save and ways to save. My teenager, when she was in the ninth grade, she's now a high school senior, she was in this class at school and... 
the teacher was asking something and she, and she spoke up and she said, well, wouldn't a Roth be good for that? And the kids looked at her in the class like, what's that? And once she explained it, they were like, what a nerd you are, but a knowledgeable one who over time will really benefit from it. And my 12-year-old, I was just having an argument with him last night about the fact that he doesn't know how to let money sit, that any money that comes around, it's got to be for the newest video game, for his Nintendo this or his Minecraft that or whatever, that money is, as soon as it is in his possession, is to be consumed. And so, you know, I talk about this a lot with him, and that's the key. As a parent, you can't uh, control what kind of adults your kids are going to be. But you can have an ongoing conversation and remember how you handle things affects so much how they'll handle things. Chris is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Chris. Hey, Clark. How you doing? All right. So which of my three kids is going to be most mad at me? <laughs> no idea. <laughs> well, Chris, tell me how I can serve you. Yeah. So uh, earlier this year, my um, my wife and I had, you know, we just, just purchased a home. Used I cut my savings in half and used it as a down payment on the house. Then we had a huge catastrophe happened, and that burned out the other half of my savings. So just Is everybody okay? Oh, yeah, yeah, everything's fine. Okay. Appreciate you checking. So, anyways, my wife and I have been gradually building up our savings. It's, it's not much. Um, just easy numbers. It took a $40,000 loss in one month. Oh, man. And so, yeah. So, we're, we're building that back up. So, now. wait, wait, wait. I want to I wanna look at the positive here. You before you bought the home had eighty thousand dollars in savings. Yeah, you know that's outstanding. Yeah, but unfortunately, it got taken down to four hundred. That let me tell you something. When you have the kind of attitude about money, where you had built up a reserve of that size, it means that I worry not at all about you and your wife with how you <laughs> handle money over the intermediate term or the long term. It's all just details we're going to talk about. All righty. Because most people, you know, live on fumes. They can't handle, you know, surveys show that most Americans could not handle a $400 unexpected expense. You were able to handle $80,000. So you you got a lot to be proud of. And whatever path you take from now, you're going to be fine because you're of a mentality, you and your wife, that you live on less than what you make. We do, yeah. I appreciate that, Clark. So the the strategy you're trying to noodle is what? Tell me where you are with this as you rebuild. I owe just over, we we purchased a vehicle, five-year loan, we're two and a half years in, almost paid off on it. Now, because my savings is tight, I'll have just under 5,000 there right now, working our way back up, like I said. Now... I'm just looking for the wisest decision. We overpay our car payment more than double. We're paying 450 a month on a 200 and some dollar car payment. 
What now, interest actually, rate does that car loan carry? Oh, two point nine. Okay. Now, now, if I break it down, I'm only paying about two sixty, two seventy, two dollars and sixty cents interest per payment now because it's on the tail end of the loan. So, I'm, I'm wondering: is it better if I just continue making payments till it's paid off through attrition, or yes, or yeah, don't pay any extra, don't pay any extra on the car loan, even though. Um, you don't earn a lot on your savings. If you pay off your car loan and you don't have sufficient savings, you can't just go uh, treat your car like an ATM. Correct. So The last thing I'm going to do is get a title loan. That's not going to happen. Right, right. You're not doing that because that's several hundred percent. So, yeah. so just pay the car off the rest of the way as agreed. Okay. And you'll pay it out, the vehicle out, really early simply because you've been prepaying so much. So you would recommend dropping down to the minimum payment and then just doing it that way, or would I? Yes, just just pay payment? what pay whatever you would need to to meet the requirements on paying on the car loan. Whatever that you said, two hundred and something a month is the yeah about two twelve. Yeah, we've been paying four fifty for the last so, two years. So pay two twelve, and then you're going to have more money to build up your depleted savings. Okay, nice. I was just trying to get the wisest opinion on that one. Yeah, and and there's okay. not necessarily a um, an answer that's a hundred percent true in this case but I'd say 95 yeah. percent pay the car loan is agreed and beef up the savings quicker but yeah that was actually not an option I considered even so thank you sure well best to both of you and again I'm sorry you're overcoming a personal catastrophe but it sounds like for you you're gonna move me. well past yeah. it easily absolutely thank you Clark sure and Heidi is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Heidi. Yes. How are you doing? I'm doing well, thank you. You want to talk about your son. What's happening with your son? Yes. Well, I've got a 12-year-old son. And Is your 12-year-old um, son better with money than I described my son a few minutes ago? Oh, somewhat, but he's just started a finance class at school. So the last two days when I've driven home, he's like, everybody has an allowance except me. I said, well, you earn your money. <laughs> so so he, he gets paid for chores, right? Yes, absolutely. So I don't have an objection to an allowance. You know, if you want to uh, give him an allowance of some amount of money, and then when he wants stuff, he has to pay for it and figure right. out what his priorities are. I mean, I don't mind an allowance just for breathing. But I do think there's value in having chores. And we uh, we were doing that with our kids when they were younger. We don't do it now that um, now that he's 12 and his sister's a lot older, both sisters are a lot older. But we used to have a chore wheel. And they had to do that every day. And we didn't give them any money for doing the chore wheel. It was just right. what was expected. Yes. So do you have your son do chores at 12 and he gets you know, nothing for it or does he get money as he completes chores? He does chores and he does it because everybody in the family has to contribute and uh, we pay him for extra things like wash the car or uh, we dog sit so he gets paid to, to take care of the dogs and mow the lawn, things like that. I love that. You know, I'm old enough that I grew up before there were child labor laws where I grew up. Yeah. And I had, you know, I had real jobs starting at 11. 
You know, I worked in a warehouse starting at 11 years old. And that probably was not safe. We didn't think that way a million years ago. But, uh, but having that sense of responsibility and that you earn money, I think he's at an age that that's a great thing to do. Me too. I agree. <laughs> so uh, what's your son going to do with the money that he makes doing these various tasks? Well, it's not his money that I'm, I'm concerned with. It's, um, it's thinking about college. And uh, we're, we're a little behind, possibly. I have about $20,000 set aside for him, um, but it's in a credit union money market. All right, I don't so want it there. If it's, it's earning teeny tiny dividends. Yeah, I don't want it in that. So you're a California resident? Yes. California has a fantastic college savings plan. Okay. And it is, it is one of the best in America. And that money, if the real purpose that money is for your son's college, I'd like you to put it in a 529 account with you as the owner mm-hmm. and your 12-year-old as the beneficiary. Okay. And then that money will get six years to grow tax-free and be spent tax-free on college. And whatever you add over time, add it to the California 529 plan. Okay. And what I'd like you to look at in their um, uh, fund choices is I think the best choice is to put them in what's known as an age-based portfolio Mm -hmm. where the risk level steadily reduces over these next six or seven years so that you're not going to get as much return on the money as he gets closer to college, but also with lower risk. Mm -hmm. All right. I just wasn't sure since we'd waited so long. No, you're fine. Was it even worth it? Listen, most parents with a 12-year-old have saved zero pennies for college. (laughs) So don't fret at all. And if you go to Clark.com, I've got a 529 plan guide. If you put that in the search box... You'll have to skip past some of the ads that pop up first, then click on my guide, click on the California link, and in just moments, you'll have your child set up to start funding his college tax-free. Sometimes having a big heart can lead people down the wrong path, and there's a move in Congress right now as people in various hurricane-affected states from Harvey and Irma try to rebuild to allow people to tap retirement savings without paying a penalty but just paying taxes to use that money to rebuild. Now, again, the intent is right with this, but the result is a bad one. And this is not something you should do. When you tap your retirement money and you have to pay all that tax, you're fighting from behind forever. So even if you don't have to pay the 10% penalty, most of the time people are paying a 10% penalty, you end up with like 54 net cents of each dollar you would draw from a retirement account. You drop the 10% penalty, so let's say you end up with 64 cents of each dollar that you have to be able to use. You're making your money work too hard, and then you have to rebuild it later, and maybe... You're never going to be able to rebuild to where you were. In fact, the math shows you can't. So I know there are various times in life where you think, hey, I got that piggy bank there. Have that 401k I can borrow from at work. I got this IRA I can do a withdrawal from. 
Avoid that temptation except in a time of absolute desperation. In the case of the aftermath of a natural disaster like these hurricanes, you may think that qualifies as the time of desperation to do it. But the federal government is going to offer any of a number of programs with extremely low-cost borrowing for people to put their lives back together, and that is a much more effective strategy than rating your own retirement account. Trust me on this. I know it's a pot of gold you're looking at to get your life back in order quicker. Don't do it. So great to have you here on the Clark Howard Show, where it's about you learning ways to save more and spend less. And don't let anyone ever rip you off. Clark.com is our main website. ClarkDeals.com, where you go to save money. So do you know that there are some auto manufacturers that really put their money where their mouth is? I had to check something because somebody uh, told me, where was I? They were showing me their new Hyundai. And instead of talking about the car, they kept talking about the warranty that came with it, which I found was very interesting. And so I then saw a news item about this, and they were right. Listen to this. Hyundai gives you a 60,000-mile bumper-to-bumper warranty on the vehicle. So does Kia, which, uh, you know, they're common ownership. They're not identical ownership, but they're common. And I was thinking back forever ago when Hyundai had, I hate to say it, but they had the worst reliability record and reputation in the United States. They had come into the United States in the 80s, and they came in with a car called the Hyundai XL, and it did not excel. It had a lot of problems. And so when they wanted to reestablish their brand, which had, had been a new brand in the United States and was suddenly tarnished, they came up with an ultra, ultra long warranty, which there was nothing like it in the car business in the United States. And although it's not the same one they had back in the 80s or early 90s, this is really great. Five years, 60,000 miles, bumper to bumper, and then a decade on the powertrain. So it's or up to 100,000 miles. So for most people, the average person drives like 12,000 miles a year. It would really be like an eight-year powertrain warranty. But that's fantastic. And they're not the only ones that do a really nice warranty because Jaguar is also doing the five years, 60,000 miles. So Jaguar, a brand that historically didn't have the best reputation Even when it became a more reliable car, there was still this thing in people's heads that Jaguars may have been beautiful, but they weren't that reliable. So this is an area that when you're looking at buying a new car, I think it's something that does make a difference, is that you look and see what kind of coverage you're offered. 
you know, the most common kind of thing now is three years, 36,000 miles is the kind of baseline in the automotive industry. I'm sure there's some people who offer less than that and a handful that offer more. But if you really want to know you're not going to be reaching in your wallet all the time, look at the companies that are really standing behind their product. And then you don't have to be vulnerable to all those pitches about why you should buy those overpriced extended warranties. Victor's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Victor. How you doing, Clark? Great. Thank you, Victor. How can I be of service to you? Uh, yes. So I got married shortly after the housing bus. Well, first, congratulations. Uh, (laughs) Timing probably felt inauspicious, but... Yeah. Well, my wife and I had our own separate houses before we were married. So, of course, the amicable decision was to move in with her. Um, In the process, I was forced into the property management business. So I've been renting out my first home for almost... 10 years. So now that I have this skill, why not expand? So so doing some research, I came across some few websites uh, that uh, I've referenced. And my question is, what are the pros and cons of purchasing property online as opposed to traditional hire, traditionally hiring an agent? So I am 100% opposed to buying properties that are ones that you have not thoroughly vetted. You know, uh, I, I want you to, you became an involuntary landlord during the real estate bust. Yes. And you made it work. And so I want you to keep making it work. And the way you do that is you be methodical. You come up with your strategy of how you look for property, how you find uh, neighborhoods, how you decide on a street. And I want a producer, Joel, to talk for a second here because Joel is, lives, eats, and breathes and sleeps this and has four homes now at 33 years old, three of them rental properties. He's developed enormous equity. And Joel, share with Victor how you, now that values have really uh, reflated in a lot of areas, how do you still find your properties. Sure. Yeah, for me, initially, it was really important to buy homes that were close to where I lived so that I could mow the grass myself, that I could see it every day. If I wanted to go over there and see what condition it was in, it was easy to do. If it's uh, over an hour or more away, it's really hard to do. Mine were within a mile of my home residence, and I think that can be really helpful. Just And it doesn't have to be that close by, but close enough where you can check it out. You can check in on the property often. I think that's really important first step. And you also know that neighborhood well. If you live close by, you know the neighborhood well enough that you know what homes are going for. You know what houses are worth, and you know the trajectory of the neighborhood. So this last house I bought was the first one that I've bought outside of my neighborhood, and that even is only about a 12-minute drive from my house. And it's a neighborhood, again, that I'm really familiar with, that I've uh, hung out in a lot, that I believe has a lot of good things going for it, and I really enjoyed that neighborhood. It's one that I feel that uh, comfortable that I would be happy to live in it. And so and how many um, properties do you look at 
over the course of a week. Sure. 5,000? I mean, you're always <laughs> looking. It's like unreal. Yeah, well, it's it kind of gets to be an addicting habit just to at least look at uh, internet, the internet every day, an app on your phone, right? Like Zillow or Redfin, something like that, so that you're seeing what's going up, what things are selling for, what things have sold for in the last six months. Having that kind of information at your fingertips and cycling through it on a at minimum weekly basis, but probably closer to a daily basis if you're interested in buying. That's and super so, important. Victor, as you hear okay. Joel, you hear this is 180 degrees removed from these websites that you can go to that say, hey, we have a perfect rental property for you. We've already, we've already acquired it. Here, buy this one from us. It's turnkey. That's the kind of pitch you saw, right? Yes. Yeah, I do not believe in those at all. Because if they really identified a great revenue-producing property, they're never going to share it with you. Okay. Makes sense? Yes, that makes sense. All right. Well, best of luck to you since you've enjoyed doing it. You have the experience over these many years. Uh, I have three rental properties at this point. I love having them. Okay. All right. Thank you, Clark. Thank you, Joel. Sure. Welcome. And best to you. And Michael is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Michael. How you doing, Clark? Great, thank you, Michael. You're changing jobs. I have changed jobs, and I leave I left a 401k at my existing job, and I got a new 401k at this job. But I also have a business I have on the side that I've got a nice little nest egg in the savings account, which doesn't give me any interest. So I want to invest that. So I'm contemplating my old job 401k if I should take it to like a Fidelity account or roll over into the 401k here and just put my business savings into a Fidelity. Okay, so... That makes sense? Yeah, let's talk about a couple of things. Okay. The old employer's 401k, do you happen Mm -hmm. to know if it's a low-cost, moderate-cost, or high-cost 401k? It's low-cost. If it's low-cost, I mean, you have the option of just leaving it there. Okay, but I'm not invest putting any into it. That's so all right. It's, it's, That's all okay. right. If it's uh, it, you want with the money that you've worked to save and you've sacrificed current spending to be able to have money down the road, you want mm-hmm. to have it invested as efficiently as possible. If your new employer has a low cost 401k, you can move the money from the old yep. employer's 401k to the new one. And that's right. a strategy, and that way you don't have all these accounts all over the place. That's my fear. I didn't want five different accounts when it comes, you know, something happens to me or retirement age, trying to figure out which I want to take from. Sure. None of them are Roth. None of them are Roth either. So that's another thing I was thinking about if I had a tip for my old 401k, if I should put into a Roth just to get that out of the way. Well, you can't without paying a lot of tax. That's why that was my question when I emailed is if I did that, would I have to pay a lot besides paying taxes? What other things do I have to worry about in something like that? That's all you'd have to do. So if you take your 401k from your Mm ex-employer and put it into an IRA, you -hmm. then can uh, reclassify it or whatever they call it, recharacterize it as a Roth, and then you have to pay tax, no no, uh, penalty, but you pay tax on all that money. So if you're in a position you can afford to pay the tax bill, then that's a great strategy for the long term. How old are you, Michael? 52. 52? No, I wouldn't bother with that. Oh, okay. Wouldn't bother. I, I, would not, I would not go through the expense of moving it 
to a Roth. If you just you can leave it at the old company, you can move it to your current employer, you can move it to your own IRA. But what you do with your side business, yes, that's and extra income, putting that in a Roth IRA of your own, you're allowed to put sixty five hundred into a Roth because you're fifty two. You yeah, can boost that. that. Sorry. I, yeah, I was said I seen that it was sixty five hundred because of my age. Yeah, so that's a real advantage to you. So you have the money you're contributing with your new employer. You have the money from the old employer, and that's all money that'll be taxable when you retire. And then you do this other pile that you do mm-hmm. the sixty five hundred each year in the Roth IRA. I think about over uh, how long are you going to work till you're sixty? What? Uh, my. Um 68, I believe it is. The number is what, that's the goal, but my side business is, it's going to be, I'm an architectural designer, so I can sit this and do this till I'm 80 years old, you know, if I'm still sane. Wonderful. So, you also have the option, let's say you save in the 401k at work. You do mm-hmm. the Roth IRA. You are also allowed to do a SEP if you want to put aside even more money. I mean, you got lots of options here. A what? A SEP, Simplified Employee Pension. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay. I've heard of that. And so with the SEP, that's perfect when you have side income where you can put money in it because you're being paid independent contractor on what you're doing architectural design-wise. Yes, yes. You know, Uncle Sam is going to take a chunk of that if I don't put it someplace. Right. So the SEP allows you to reduce taxable income. Is that through my employer or is that through, how do I No, you do that, that on your that? own. Like you can go to oh, Vanguard okay. or you can go to Schwab, you can go to Fidelity, you can go to T. Rowe Price, any of the low-cost companies. Okay. And you can set okay. up a SEP. The paperwork takes about 90 seconds. <laughs> I love that. And then you're allowed <laughs> to put aside from $0 in a year up to uh, 50, maybe 53000 something like that. Oh. If I made that, I quit my other job. (laughs) So the SEPs, you can save an enormous amount of money on a flexible basis, 25%, basically, this is shorthand, but it's 25% of your self-employed income can go into a SEP each year. I like that idea. And it's 54,000 now is what you can do in a SEP. So I was off 1,000, sorry. Okay, so that's what, that's what my like my own uh, pension plan then for my company. Exactly. So you can okay. you can have the money from your old four hundred one k move to your new four hundred one k. You can keep contributing to it. You can do the sixty five hundred in the Roth. You can do the SEP and reduce your income from your self employment on the side. I mean, you have endless options to build up money over the next sixteen years. That's what's so great. Everything you got going for you is an option because you're doing the hard work, saving the money, living on less than what you make. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance. Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget, giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. 
Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Melanie is with us on the Clark Howard Show. And Melanie, I was talking moments ago about Vanguard, Schwab, T. Rowe Price, Fidelity. You have a question about one of my four favorite children. Yes, I do, Howard. Thanks for taking my call. Certainly. I was calling um, just to say if you would recommend, if I went with the Vanguard, uh, would you recommend for me to self-manage it, or do you recommend to actually have the advisor to, for them to manage it? And the cost for them to manage it is how much? I'm not sure. <laughs> okay, so Vanguard offers a number of choices where where they will help you manage and there's a level and I don't know what the minimum is but it's a pretty big minimum where for uh, like 0.35% they'll manage money for you but they're not really that's not really what they're about necessarily they're really more about self-serve tell me about the money you're interested in putting in well I have several um, different companies where I've worked like different um 401ks that I can roll into this and then just like to open an investment account with them as well and contribute to that monthly. So, yeah, I'm just trying to see if that, if I rolled all this money in together, would I be better off just to let them manage it and decide how to do it or should, would I come out better or cheaper if I did it? Well, I mean, that is your choice. Do you have 50000 in all these different things added together? Oh, yes. Oh, great. So they'll charge you 0.30, I think is what it is. Um, and they do a great job with it. I mean, they they will do uh, a mix of planning with you to make sure that you're, that you're trying to reach the objectives you want, that the risk levels are right, and how that money should be invested. And that is actually extremely inexpensive compared to what you normally pay to have somebody advise you on your money? Yeah, because our company that I work for also offers Vanguard uh, funds. I think they have some T. Rowe Price funds as well, but they're not as cheap. I think the Vanguard funds are just so much cheaper as far as the fees that we pay. Yeah, both companies always... are great. They The reason the T. Rowe Price costs more is their funds are what are known as managed, where they're trying to figure out exactly which stock they should own or what bond and how much of each they should have, where Vanguard is much more about just buying uh, pieces of like all the companies there are and just throwing them together in a fund. But what I would do is I would call Vanguard and talk with somebody about what they'll offer to you, what they'll provide you, and how you actually access those services for the .30. And they are an incredibly great company you can't go wrong using them. You're listening to The Clark Howard Show. I appreciate you spending part of your day with us here on The Clark Howard Show. I want you to know that if you need consumer advice, we're here to serve you off-air for free, nine hours a day. If you go to Clark.com and go down the home screen, you'll see a section, Consumer Help and Tools, Click on Consumer Action Center and you can get that free off-the-air advice.